wouldn't it wouldn't it be awful if people owned us by just tons of people paying fifty dollars to make us record podcasts about bad movies? Wouldn't that be terrible? We would be so owned if people did that. I, know. I mean, I would be at mad. A, cer- at mad. a certain point, I probably would be mad. <laughs> <laughs> but then people would just get cranky, Rob, on their podcast, which maybe they want. Maybe they want. Well, the, yeah. Please make Rob mad by donating lots of fifty dollars, putting in lots of fifty dollars uh, payments for movies. That would be just the worst for him. Terrible. Shh. Listeners, welcome back to another episode, another uh, episode of a free podcast. We're continuing our fifth season, guys, five seasons, as we call them, plus tons of bonus episodes. Um, We're talking about uh, problematic faves, and uh, Duff's up next. I talked about Ace Ventura last time. Duff's up next, talking about Cape Fear, the remake of Cape Fear. Well, is anyone else here with me? Uh, You know what? I was really Max Katie of me. Um, I'm joined by uh, uh, two of my favorite pieces of white trash, Joe and Duff. Hi. <laughs> uh, five seasons, you know what that means. Syndication money, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait till the podcast syndication starts occurring. Start, start calling up all those local stations. They got air to fill. It's just going to be like album art and then the podcast plays. We are here to uh, to philosophize you, yeah. our listeners, about <laughs> Cape Fear. Philosophize them? Yep. <laughs> I was hoping that line came up. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know if I already said this, but to be clear, this is the remake of Cape Fear, the Scorsese. We'll talk plenty about both, though, I'm sure. Um, kind of have to. So, Duff, I think we got to start with you, bud. Why'd you pick this? Yeah, I don't what really do you, get What it. do you love about this? Uh... In a nutshell, it is a lot of great uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera putting in the A game for something that is just kind of a mess. <laughs> but it is, it's like a pulpy, you know, 50s crime novel with a lot of really uncomfortable rapiness thrown in. <laughs> I don't know. That's not why I love it. It's okay. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I don't want to get too far ahead because there's a lot of things, but. Um, I think this is peak uh, De Niro. I mean, it's mm-hmm. regardless of what you think of the movie, I think he is utterly fantastic in this role. So let's let's uh, actually, in fact, unless people maybe hadn't seen Cape Fear or um, don't remember a whole lot, I will try to quickly summarize it as I am want to do. Um, De Niro, as you mentioned, plays Max Cady, who is released after 14 years in prison. At which point, he starts stalking Sam Bowden, played by Nick Nolte. America's sexiest man, one of those years. Yeah, Uh, who was his defense attorney. And we learn that uh, Bowden had buried some evidence that may have helped Katie get off this rape charge. Um, So throughout the beginning of this movie, Katie finds, not really the beginning, the whole movie, finds different ways to terrorize Bowden and his family. He keeps showing up. He kills their family dog. He brutally allegedly. assaults. Yeah, allegedly, brutally assaults a colleague of his. Um, but nothing they really do. Did that. Can they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, can, can they prove that he did it? So he's never arrested. He can't be arrested. Uh, Sam uh, eventually hires a PI, to, a, a worthless PI, to kill Max. <laughs> um, Katie continues to like put pressure on the family he starts interacting with Bowden's wife and his high school aged daughter including a delightfully creepy scene <laughs> where he pretends to be the daughter's drama teacher which I'm sure we'll get into later um, eventually Sam decides to pay the PI to have some ruffians beat up Katie that goes totally awry um, things have escalated to the highest level at this point Katie eventually sneaks into their house and kills the PI along with their maid. They decide, as anyone would in this situation, that it's time to escape to the houseboat um, to get away. Katie tracks them down. 
a battle well, ensues. Hold on, not hold tracks. On. Tracks them down is, I'm not sure the right way to describe what That's he does. True. He, he, I, sorry, I didn't really know how descriptive to get. He belts. grabs onto the undercarriage of the car. He has a belt that is supporting his torso. <laughs> and he just hangs on the bottom of the car. Uh, Look, the belt's uh, doing the work. It's not that hard. Well, I mean, the belt <laughs> is helping. I don't think it's doing the work. His arms. Uh, it was a joke. Not... It was a joke. I recognize okay. the ridiculousness of. But I mean, we'll I'm... say we'll say effective. I mean, it's it's pretty great. Um, and it ends uh with Sam. You know, he gets to them and uh battle ensues and Sam and his family survive. Katie ends up dying. The end. So uh, while you were talking about that, I think another way for me to sum up why I love this is that this is a Looney Tunes-esque Hitchcock amped up to 12 homage. And then once in a while is just an incredibly icky or horrific sexual abuse scene. And it's like, oh, no. I I will say this. It feels like Paul Schrader directed this movie. (laughs) Well, okay, never mind. That's how I would ex- explain what you just said, Duff. Yeah, I mean, parts of it feel very straightery. So let's start with sort of the overall, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the mora- moral worldview of the film. Okay. Yeah, wh- like why why make this, right? That's, I think, what you we always start with when Scorsese does a movie like this or The Color of Money or I think Shutter Island is another one that I kind of would put into this camp of mm-hmm. like... I guess that movie's pretty good, but I'm not sure why you made it. Um, I, I think this movie is better in every way than the original and is significantly smarter. And I think that I don't really find it particularly problematic, and I don't really get why Duff describes it that way. So I'm most interested in, in that because I, I, I think agree. that there's disturbing scenes, but I think that th- these these two scenes, you know, the the sexual assault scene that one uh, that one isn't actually very smart and probably doesn't need to be in the movie uh but the the scene at school also i think both of them hold up a light to our quote-unquote protagonist who's an awful human being and shows that exposes the fact that nick nolte is it nolte or nolte i always thought it was nolte you said nolte though i've heard either okay i don't think it's I, I think don't know if it's definitive. Oh, who cares? Um, yeah, anyone so, under 35 literally doesn't care. <laughs> like, the, Nolte's character just views women as property, and I think that Katie exposes that by based on what he does to the women that surround Nick Nolte's character. But that would be... So I think that's what most people find problematic about the movie is those scenes, but I don't think those scenes express... I think those scenes criticize a worldview that like a misogynistic viewpoint also also like to go along that point they're meant like you know when we talk about ace ventura before the issue is it's the hero doing this awful stuff um whereas this is you know this is a villain doing villainous things so like it should i mean i don't i don't find it as problematic as so i guess my big thing is uh and joe hit on it the first scene um that's really in terms of technical skill is excellent and that it's horrific <laughs> is uh de niro uh he finds this woman who nick nolte is kind of ha- we're not really clear i don't think they've had an affair yet but that you know he's it's round trending he, he's it's trending <laughs> yeah it, there's he, a flirtatious he's, relationship he's, and... he's round in third there's you know <laughs> the outfielder is a bad arm uh, by the way <laughs> By the way, Alina Alina Douglas is the actress. Does anyone love to play Alina Douglas or Talia Shire? Because I could never remember which is which, and I always uh, have to look it up. They I, look alike to me. Uh, they do look alike, but I've never had that problem. But okay. I, I see where you're coming from. Okay. Um, if you don't know by name who Alina Douglas is, just Google her. She's that lady. Yep. Yeah. Who looks a lot like Adrian. <laughs> um, Rocky. But, but that entire scene, while it has tension, it is not necessary you could have just cut to nick nolte getting the call at home and then going to the hospital it you know it's just kind of and it's really the first horrific thing we see it's all of a sudden this woman is uh like handcuffed 
thrown down on the bed. He bites part of her cheek off and just, yeah, savagely assaults her. I actually am going to argue that I think it is a little necessary. And and the reason is, is we don't actually see Max Katie do anything. Like, even up until that point... There, he hasn't done anything that we've seen, right? He, he was in prison. We find out that his defense attorney had buried something. He may or may not have killed or poisoned their dog. He's sort of creeping around, but he's not doing the thing that makes you go like, oh, my God, this dude is he, he is did. a horrific villain. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that's the only – I think the only mistake this movie makes is if it would be more interesting if, if it didn't show it. It's better if we don't see him do anything, I think, throughout As, the whole so movie. So we can wonder if he, if he actually did? do it or you just think it's better if we just left that for ourselves to, i mean to wonder about. the imagination house is always more horrific even uh, as yeah. horrific and, as and i just is. think this whole plot point probably is best not included but but it does offer the opportunity when um and i'm not sure if we're really going through this in the right order but i guess i love it's down this detour um when nolte's character asks her to testify i mean they've got max katie now if she just testifies uh then he's going to go back to prison forever probably right Mm -hmm. but she won't do it because she doesn't want to go through the experience of having her past cross-examined and her whole sexual history dragged up right yeah which is the also harkens back to the evidence that swayze or swayze i (laughs) I don't know why i always get those two mixed up they're nothing alike uh they're both gonna happen they're both people's sexiest man i think yeah Let's I'm go just, with that. I've always I've Joe, done that my whole life though. I I don't really understand why. Joe gets all the 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 people's sexiest men mixed up into one <laughs> yeah. person. I'll probably call him Johnny Depp later too. Mel Gibson, <laughs> Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Who can truly tell the difference? Gosling. <laughs> um it, it, so it, the evidence that he suppressed initially to that could have been used in the defense of Max Katie is the fact that the woman girl he was accused of sexually assaulting was promiscuous. Mm-hmm. which is obviously just nonsense and it's insane that that could be used you know in court to try to question someone's credibility in a sexual assault case but at the, i don't know maybe it still could be used oh I for sure but uh it's still used i i mean i mean i don't know if it, it still would be used but i don't know if it would be as effective now as it was in 1991 but or 1977, which is when the case happened. Yeah, especially oh, yeah, especially in the Deep South. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it would have been late 70s. Um, so it, it draws this interesting parallel between those two, you know, assaults. But but yeah, it would have been better if, if it just would not have been included. But I also, I also feel like the, the story and all the women in the story are, it's the... I don't think this movie passes the Bechdel test and I don't think it passes the the Makomori test like all these women are just there as objects for Max Katie to terrorize to get at Nick Nolte so I think that's another problematic angle of it yeah I I actually think this the, the 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 part you talk about Joe with her you know saying she's on the other side now because she you know about understanding why um victims or witnesses aren't willing to testify i thought was the smartest this movie got so uh, i don't agree with that i think that there's the whole movie is pretty smart i think i I think it i think it tries to be smart and sometimes gets it and sometimes doesn't and so this kind of ties in but joe you you asked why did scorsese get attached to this and the story is pretty funny actually yeah, I I read it too, but maybe you know more than I do. I, I read the well, Scorsese's so, and Scorsese's chapter about this book, which is really interesting. But so somewhere along the line, uh, Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment got the rights to remake Cape Fear in the early '80s, and didn't really do anything with it. And eventually, Spielberg realized like, oh, this is too violent for me. And also at that time, uh, Scorsese had the rights to Schindler's List somehow. And Scorsese had decided, he's like, oh, I don't want to do this because I'm not Jewish, I think was the reason. And so first thing that happened is they swapped. (laughs) And Scorsese's Hmm. like, all right, I'll give you this and I'll take this. And part of the reason that Scorsese took Cape Fear is because Universal had backed Last Temptation of Christ, which was a huge controversy. 
for yeah. sure. And a big, I believe it lost money. And but the only way he could get uh, Last Temptation of Christ made was if he promised Universal he would do something commercial. And that is Cape Fear. <laughs> it was literally like kind of like a "Are you not entertained?" movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think um, so. The only and the only way Spielberg would let him do this is if he promised not to kill the family at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, Spielberg is actually an uncredited producer. Spielberg had one of the best ideas in the entire movie, in my mind, which is it was his idea to have Max Katie dressed like the nanny. <laughs> Oh my god, that was so good. Yeah, that's uh, great. Which is you know, a top three moment in this movie. A very funny thing about casting in this is that Scorsese originally went to Harrison Ford with the Nick Nolte part. Which would have been way better. I don't know, I think Nick Nolte's really good in this. I think he might just be bad in general. That's my Nick Nolte well, take. So anyway, but Harrison Ford, and I actually love these, he's like, I'll only do this if I can play Katie. Which would have been number one awful, number two hilarious. Yes, <laughs> I'll agree with that. Um, uh, so yeah, eventually I, Scorsese is like, oh, "I'll give De Niro a call again." I actually think one of my issues of this movie is I think Nolte is bad in it. Um, I mean, and I, I think it's a miscast. Oh, I think I think the character as written is comes off as too unsympathetic. Like a big flaw of this movie is that certain times i think you end up liking katie more because he's more charismatic yeah that's the point sure. of him though like mm. he's this he's the devil character like it's like paradise lost i don't think this movie is that smart though i like, don't either i, well, I mean that, that's the, the filmmaker himself says that that's what he's trying to do well the screenwriter see the thing is like this to a certain extent this movie's made by committee it's just a lot of the committee is really, really good. It's like Spielberg's producing, Scorsese is directing. Um, it was written by the guy who wrote the Doom movie. <laughs> yes. And I also read something that Scorsese, he demanded 23 drafts of the script from the script writer. Yep. And because he said there's too much cutesiness in this. So, and I remember, oh God, I wish I still had, but a long time ago, I had the DVD and I watched the documentary about the making of this and the screenwriter did not come off as a, a thoughtful dude. He came off as someone who the word cutesy and full of himself kind of comes to mind. So I, and parts of that creep in at times and then at other times it's just, you know, a bonkers Hitchcock thriller. Uh, the other casting where I want to bring up, which is even wilder, is apparently when Spielberg was originally attached to direct it, his suggestion for Max Cady was Bill Murray, <laughs> which doesn't even make sense. Well, maybe he was ahead of the curve on Wes Anderson. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I would be interesting, Bill but tall. I, I, I think the thing that we can agree with is... Max Cady, as played by Robert De Niro, is absolutely fantastic. He it, he straddles the line between legit terrifying and kind of funny, you know, rooting for the bad guy character. Cause, and also, he manages to be terrifying while dressing like an elderly man who lives in Florida in a retirement village. Mm-hmm. He has the weirdest outfits in this movie. It's supposed to be that those are the his clothes from before he went to jail. Oh, you, this is what would so have been that, in a 1977. Yeah, so like De Niro asked for like I, I don't remember if it was De Niro's idea or Scorsese's idea. A lot of the like what makes it into the end of the movie, like yeah, I agree. But like the screenwriter seems like a tool, and a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the changes that are made to the for the movie, some of it is Scorsese, some of it's De Niro. Like it was, I think it was De Niro's idea for that sexual assault scene that we heard about earlier because he thought he did so much research about like rapists and serial killers. He's like, this will make it more realistic for what this character would be like. But like we said, it doesn't really work. There's a lot. There's actually a lot of improvising in this movie. Um, I know uh, Elena Douglas, like it was her improvisation during that to be sort of laughing during it and sort of, you know, like her, her sort of like drunk, like instead of like terror at the beginning, there's more of just like, you know, drunken laughter and enjoyment. That was her idea as well. I mean, there's a lot of, 
the most famous scene in this movie, um, which is between uh, Max Cady and the 15-year-old daughter played by um, I can ne- Juliet, Juliet Lewis. Lewis. Uh, Oscar-nominated Juliet Lewis. Um, that sequence was entirely improvised by by her and and De Niro, and apparently the first they did three different like takes of it, and the first one is the one they used. That's really amazing. Still, it's, still icky. Yeah, that scene is. I mean, I don't know if we want to. If we want to, we're kind of jumping around. I don't know if we want to dive into that sequence. Because uh, to- let's let's <laughs> let's start off before we get there. Um, one thing that I genuinely love about this movie that you hit on a little bit is the delightfully oafish Joe Don Baker as the private investigator. Oh my god, <laughs> he's so worthless. Now that is intentional. Like yes. he's he is just uh he's and Joe Don Baker is another oh it's that guy if you look him up. Uh he every time there is kind of a chubby authoritative redneck in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it. I love his little uh Jim Beam and Pepto Bismol combo. Mhm. Yeah, he's just like he's one of those guys that is convinced that everything he's doing has to be the right thing and yep. most of the time it's absolutely not but he does everything with such confidence mm-hmm. that like you know his clients just buy into him like oh well i mean look at like when he his big idea to try <laughs> to tie the fishing line to a teddy um, bear around the, the teddy bear and then like the favorite part is when he's tying it and uh and sam's wife lee played by jessica lang uh kind of was like what is that and instead of just saying fishing line he like gives the like scientific name of the uh, you know he's like oh this is a polyurethane you know it's like it's a fishing line dude (laughs) (laughs) quit trying to make it sound fancier than it is uh yeah he's he's very funny in this um and also um I think one of the I don't know if it's there's so much in this movie stuff I don't know how much I'm supposed to be scared and how much I'm supposed to just be laughing. Yeah. I I well okay. Do you want to know how I read it? Yeah. I I, I I think the the main character of the movie is Juliette Lewis's character. She is the first words. She is the last words in the film. I mean, it's her she, story. She bookends it. It's her story. She's the main character, and she's the only character in the entire film who sees how full of shit everybody else is. She sees that the PI is full of it when he's talking about the, the whole, his whole scheme to tie the fishing line to the teddy bear. Uh, when he, she, in the beginning of the film, when she comes inside and her mom is working on her, like coming up with a logo for a travel agency, she mm-hmm. s- sees right through how empty and meaningless her mom's career is and do you remember the part where she kind of walks away and rolls her eyes after asking her mom what she was doing for work and her mom brings the dog up and it's like they switched the babies on me in the hospital yeah (laughs) so the the, the parents resent her because she's the person in the house that sees how hypocritical and empty they are isn't that what teenagers do in general though no I'm smarter than them, but these okay. parents aren't. Okay. That's <laughs> a joke. Uh, Did anyone else find it weird that the way she communicates with both her parents is kind of horny-ish? <laughs> like, there's um, weird energy and banter between both her mother and her father. They're... Where she's like, oh, blah, blah, flashing, and they're talking about them. Like, oh, this is weird. I think that's Juliet Lewis in general. Yeah, well, she is. She is a weirdo. But and it's always framed around the context of her parents think that she's ten years old and hasn't seen anything and doesn't know anything. And even that comment, like, "What do you know? Do you think I've never been flashed before?" I just thought that's kind of natural, like a teenage defensiveness. Like, I know what that is. Like a well, desire to prove your adult bona fides. I mean, I Nick, think Nick Nolte doesn't seem to care that she smoked pot. He's like, "Oh, it's just pot." Well, he he's willing. That's the point of his character is is he fancies himself as this moral upstanding character, but he bends the rules every single time it ever gets hard for him. He bends the rules, right? Well, I mean, to some extent, he's also bending it because what else is he supposed to do with Katie coming after him? 
So I he could not hire a private investigator and three hitmen to go beat him up. Well, yeah, no, I know. I mean, that wasn't his first step, but I mean, he did initially try doing things the right way, and it just like nothing was moving forward. All the while, this guy's, you know, so being I think pretty aggressive. I, I, I disagree completely. Like the, f- the first time he meets him in that car, he doesn't he pull out? Is it his first time or the second time he pulls out his checkbook? Second time. Second time. He pulls out his checkbook. It's like, I'll just write you a check. What kind of tone-deaf moron would do something like uh, that? It's actually the third time. The first time is in the movie theater. The second Oh, my God. Yeah, but he... During Problem Child. Yeah, that's a funny story, too, why that was in the movie. But, why was that in the movie? Uh, well, he wanted... The, they had to be watching something, right? Yeah. So he had to pick something that Universal made, because this is a Universal movie, and Scorsese really liked Problem Child. <laughs> and... Uh, and he loved that line where um, John Ritter yells, I adopted, what is he yelled? I adopted the Antichrist or something like that, or I adopted the devil. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what, what he yells out. It's just, but. it's just like, I, that, <laughs> there are a lot of like, hey, it's uh, 1991, so, everyone. And, uh, and, and, and references. I think there's an interesting parallel to be made between Problem Child and Cape Fear as well. Uh, and Problem Child, the kid, uh, do you guys remember the kid's name in that? I, no, no, I do not remember any about Problem Child. <laughs> I don't remember show. the kid's name either. Uh, but he, one of the plot lines is he's a pen pal with a serial killer who's in jail, played by Michael Richards. And so part of the movie's storyline is the Problem Child kid develops, develops a relationship with a criminal, and then that's kind of a storyline in this movie too, in a way, right? I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with anything you have to say, Joe. I am just... I'm not saying that that's intentional. I'm just saying I think it's interesting. Because I like the problem with the the problem child thing made me laugh so much because I just love the idea of like Max Katie gets out of prison. Well, what should I do? And he walks around outside the movie theater and sees the movie poster for Problem Child and is like, "Yeah, and that's gonna, what I'm into." And, and, I'm and then gonna, the all the while the whole family's like, "What should we do? What should we go see?" I'm what? sure our 15 year old daughter would love to see Problem Child. Oh, I mean, I think that's all there is to it in the movie. I'm not saying there's more to it in the movie. And also that he has a comically oversized cigar. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to keep getting fatter as the movie goes on. Uh, So I wanted to say one thing. I think it is totally natural that he offers him a check because it's the third time he's met him. The first time he's just like, what's with that dude in the movie theater? The Mm -hmm. second time is when Katie introduces himself and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. He couldn't possibly know that, could he? The third time is when he really gets it and he's terrified and he offers him $10,000 and obviously he's super rich. So that's probably the equivalent of us offering up $1,000 or something. He's got a houseboat. He has a houseboat. He has a huge mansion pretty much. Like Mm -hmm. he's a hotshot lawyer. His wife is a hotshot architect. They're obviously well off. Like I... Honestly, like I identify with that. I'm like, oh yeah, I would probably just see if he like, I would just start spitballing money. Like, oh sorry, sorry man, how much to get you to go away? Like, I, you know, I don't think it's a moral failing. I think that's just a oh crap, this is uh, this is real now. How can I get it to go away? And I, it, I think most people would do that if they had the resources. And he's an attorney. All he really needs, like, all he doesn't, he's not going to fight him. He's just like, well, I can cut a deal, which is what I do for a career. Yeah. So I actually kept uh, a running list of my favorite what is this bit in this movie, um, such okay. as such as the comically giant cigar being smoked at Problem Child. Yes. So this it's it's about a dozen. It's not too long. Okay. Um, so the first is the movie pretty much starts with De Niro walking into the camera of oh. a, fi- a fisheye lens. <laughs> Uh, I, and and this movie is Scorsese's first time using special effects. I think there are some tragic choices. <laughs> um, and then we talked about Problem Child. The other thing is his girly lighter. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing is several times in the movie there's uh, double exposure or negative being used for. I mean, thematic reasons, but it is bizarre to me. <laughs> it's, this is, that's sort of the Paul Schrader bit that happens in this. From like, what are you doing? What is this? This whole, like, that's what it's like at night. No, it's not. That's not what, that's not anything like it. 
I mean, all of De Niro's tats. <laughs> are you going to mention his meundies? I hope you are. Uh, his yeah, his speedo is like cheetah print speedo. <laughs> Um, you mentioned De Niro dressing up as the housekeeper to fool the private detective. Yep. Uh, Nick Nolte being dumb and slipping in the blood of the private That's detective. That's the funniest scene in the whole movie, maybe, when he when he slides and slips in the P.I.'s blood and then grabs the gun and starts running off. And you're like, what is – what – you're right. It is Looney Tunes. Uh, and then uh, I mentioned the Pepto-Bismol Jim Beam drink. Uh, we talked about the car rig. And finally, and maybe best of all, is in a span of five minutes, De Niro is uh, splashed with scalding hot water, is then uh, doused in lighter fluid and set on fire. Um, But that was after he uh, lit a road flare on fire, held it in his hand as molten (laughs) just went down over him. By the end of this, he looks like he's been in an atomic blast, but he is not kept down. That is that is the part of the. I mean, I. That is the part of the movie where I I probably lost the most is when it like when he, Max comes back and it's sort of like he becomes a, Jason or Freddy exactly. I've it's a Friday the Thirteenth sequel and then they're just like holding rocks hitting each other and I'm just <laughs> like oh my god what is happening here? I want to add to your list. Um, I want to add the uh, the when he's. <laughs> I don't know at what point, but when he he quotes to uh, when he's talking to Danny and he quotes Tiffany's, I think we're alone now. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> there are like all these like that's the thing that's weird about this movie is this movie it sometimes feels like it's out of time, and then there's like, hey, here's Jane's addictions, been caught stealing music video, yeah, and like Prom Child, and um, you know, I understand why. Mitchum's in it, and you know Gregory Peck as the Colonel Sanders. Um, Gregory Peck playing the shyster lawyer is a great bit. <laughs> His last film role ever, too. Oh, really? I believe so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it is a wacky, wacky movie, and I guess when you describe it as Looney Tunes, I can understand it a little more. That said, I feel like our discussion we're having kind of brings up the larger thing on this movie is tonally it's all over the place yes very much because all three of us are kind of got totally different ways to read this movie and i don't know if that makes it great or 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 why it it's a mess i don't know it's one of those movies where like i recognize the flaws i recognize how there is some uh i think problematic stuff in it but i I don't know. It, it hits a lot of a lot of buttons for me. A um, couple things I wanted I wanted to, to bring up. Do you guys see the name of the houseboat? Moana. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know why that cracked me up so much. It, uh, yeah, the, it was weird to see that. Uh, and the other thing is, I'm glad I drive a Honda Fit because a person cannot fit underneath the carriage of a Honda Fit mm, when you're driving around. There you go. Um. Joe, do you have anything else on uh, Cape Fear? No. So I do have a couple. Can we actually? Can we talk about? Can we talk about the thumb sequence? Sure. I so I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, and the the things I remembered a lot were the, the weird houseboat thing at the end, and also this this high school auditorium seduction slash creepy thumb in her mouth thing yeah which is one of the strangest scenes that you can win an oscar for i'm not saying she wasn't great in it i think that's what she won oscar for for this movie right uh unsure um let me actually double check that uh oh no she was only nominated for this still i mean this is for a movie that is essentially like a high class trashy thriller. It's and it came out I think early in the year. It yeah, I think you're right. So it's kind of a weird I mean it's impressive she got nominated. Impressive she got nominated and also like did they show that like is this the sequence they showed during the <laughs> during the like the the show? Like when they're like, Oh, here's here's Juliet Lewis and Kate Fear, is it just her <laughs> sucking on a thumb? 
Yeah, that I don't know. <laughs> just all just wacky stuff. Um, I do have a couple fun facts. Uh, the tattoos that De Niro has were uh, just vegetable dye that he was tattooed with, so it faded after a few months. Well, that's good. Glad he still doesn't have to have those. Would you consider getting a Max Katie tattoo, Duff? Maybe the clown one? <laughs> oh, you, I thought you meant a tattoo of his face. No, just one of Max Katie's tattoos. <laughs> uh, I'd get one that said Loretta, even though I don't, okay. I, even though I don't know any Loretta's. <laughs> Uh, he paid, uh, De Niro paid five grand for his teeth to look this bad in the movie. And then he paid another 20,000 to fix them afterwards. Man. Method. Uh, yeah, for sure. And then I wanted to look up some of the other people who were, um, rumored to play, uh, Juliet Lewis's character, Danielle Reese Witherspoon, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Drew Barrymore are three of them. Uh, Drew Barrymore especially would have been terrible. Yeah, I don't think I don't think any of them would have quite did. The other one was Nicole Kidman, but they said she was too old for it, which uh, does I make was, sense. I was about to say she would be too old. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, okay, so here's a question for you guys. Um, I'm not going to go the way you think I am. Uh, not going to ask you what your three favorite Scorsese films are because I don't I don't think that's as interesting. What are your three favorite De Niro? performances well i think this may be up there uh I, I think it's this one is for sure on mine uh, i mean i could go with the performance i admire the most or the performance that is well, the just the three that come to your i mean I, come i'm coming with goodfellas so i'll throw that in there like i okay. feel like taxi driver raging bull is probably more impressive but uh his jimmy conway i mean it's such a cliche now just the kind of guy who just speaks really tersely like a little bit oh no 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 you little bit i do remember him being pretty good in awakenings which is not a great movie but i feel like it was one of the few movies where he got to be really kind of wholesome or more emotional okay so Ask her it. I'll put in Awakenings. All right. Joe, what do you have? Well, Raging Bull is by far his best. Um, And then I would say The Godfather Part 2. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I think that... um, Yeah, I don't want to just pick three um, movie, three dramas where he's someone who's angry but i might have to i mean it's kind of what he's done best i don't think so i think he is actually funny i just don't i just feel like like i think he's genuinely funny and meet the parents but it also like really led him astray for a while yeah well that's true i think it's been a long time i remember enjoying the first meet the parents meet the parents was going to my as on my top three guys not for like my three favorite de niro movies or anything but like i really enjoy him and meet the parents yeah but then funny and analyze this as well Well, that's Uh, an underrated movie that's a good pick is that the the scene i remember that is really great is him like seeing some sappy merrill lynch commercial and just breaking down crying and i thought it was hilarious and that's all i remember about that movie i think that is from analyze this yeah so is that your third joe no um i mean i don't know i guess sometimes you just have even if it's obvious you just still have to say the obvious picks so i i think it's Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, and The Godfather Part Two. Okay. But I'd like to give honorable mention to The King of Comedy. So yeah, my three would be the the roles I enjoy most are 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 definitely. I guess they're not the best. The ones I enjoy the most are sort of the over the top ones. So King of Comedy, Cape Fear, Meet the Parents, Give Me Silly De Niro. As I'm I, a fan. I think the movie as a whole is kind of dumb, but he's really good in Brazil. Hmm. And he's pretty silly and enjoyable in Stardust as well. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I would like guys... to rewatch Mary Shelley's Frankenstein to see if he's as good as I remember him being in that. 
but I I've, haven't seen it since it came out. I've always wanted to see that. It's uh, Kenneth Branagh, isn't it? Yeah. He directed it? Yes. Uh, oh, the one other thing I was going to ask, guys. Why do we all know Jessica Lange? Oscar winner Jessica Lange? <laughs> yes. I, I know who Jessica Lange is, but I don't know why I know... I don't know why I know who Jessica Lange is. Like, yeah, I know same she's an actress that's been in a lot of things. She's been in a lot of TV. I think she's uh, – I when I Googled this app before I asked you this question, and she's got the triple crown of acting because she has two Academy Awards, three primetime Emmys, one Tony Award. Um, she's on her way to an EGOT? Yeah. Although, like <laughs> – Get that Grammy, girl. I had to be like, what did she win in an Academy Award for? So you guys have any idea? I, I know Tootsie, the answer. Right? To, I know the answer to this, and the only reason I know it is because of all the times I've asked myself that. It is. Okay. <laughs> it's the movie Blue Sky, right? Yep. And that is the entirety of what I know about it, right there. And she won uh, for one supporting for Tootsie as well. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, it just it just for it just weird because like the name Jessica Lange as an actress means so much. But if you were like, oh, what are your name some Jessica Lang roles? I'd be like, uh, I don't know. I just I don't know if that's just me. If that's just pe- like if we're just too young. What are the what are the shows? What she win Emmys for? So she's won twice for American Horror Story and once for Grey Gardens. The only other thing, I, I if we're gonna go with like rumors and stuff, uh, we didn't mention um, how Nick Nolte got the role. Because he had worked on um, that New York Stories short film. Uh, what was it called? The Scorsese's uh, chapter in it, um, like, where he played an artist. Oh, I don't know the I don't know the the names of each it's, part of them. But in it's there. definitely by far the it might be. I think it's the only good movie in that trilogy. That like little um, short film trilogy. But whatever. There's no need. It's it's certainly not essential. But uh, Scorsese thought he's like too fat and bloated to play this character. <laughs> And then he was at like an award show. Can Scorsese see the future? Uh, yes. And then he saw like a, a premiere. He was at a premiere for something else. I don't remember what it was. And he's and Nolte was there and he was like trim and dressed really nice and stuff. And he's like, oh, I guess he could play this part after all. Because he wanted Redford for it. I think that would have. Um, I don't think that would have worked. I think it would have worked. It wouldn't have worked because Redford can't play I don't think he can play a morally compromised character as well as Nolte can. <sighs> if, if they were going to do like a straight remake and he's just going to play it like the original was where Gregory Peck is like 100% good, then I yeah. think it would have been fine. I, yeah, that's the reason play I this think... this version of Cape Fear wouldn't have worked. I, uh, I think that would not have worked as well for the same reason because, yeah, it would have just been a saintly figure instead of uh, flawed Nick Nolte. And I, I just think that's a funny story. But the other thing, um, and it, it's bothering me more and more, is just going back to these movies, f- you know, from the last century, and 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 just the smoking in them is just such an unbelievable distraction. Just gratuitous smoking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jessica Lange's character, like when that scene I referenced earlier, around children comes in, too, <laughs> and she's just like chain smoking while she's working, and, and there's no reason for it in this movie or any movie really at all. Uh, but it, I mean, except this movie people is, smoked. I mean, a lot of people smoked when these movies came out. I don't, I guess. Yeah. But it just, but that's not why they put it in the movie. Um, I, I mean, I, big tobacco paid a lot of money to get that into movies. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's the case on all movies? Or I, th- just I, I think many bo- of them, I think both are true. I, I mean, the only, Oddly, um, I noticed the prominent Mountain Dew Pepsi placement more than the cigarettes, but uh, I, I, Joe's right that Big Tobacco shelled out a lot of money, but it doesn't stand out to me at all, because, I mean, growing up when we did, like, I'd go to friends' houses whose parents were smokers, and I just remember this behavior. Yeah, it's, I had relatives that smoked and yeah they just they just smoked all the time so i i I guess it's different for everyone but it doesn't it doesn't stand out to me well it was the same situation for me but it just maybe i I recognize in 1991 that was the case but i'll i'm saying watching these movies in 2020 it's a massive distraction for me 
uh, it distracts oh well. me more when it's like airplanes or something or restaurants even. Yeah, yeah, I agree. When it's places where you're just like, oh, can't do that. Like in a home, wouldn't smoke in my home, but like I just, I, w- I was in a lot of homes, not our home luckily, but a lot of other homes where it's just kind of what it was like. So I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a good point, Joe. I don't know what percentage. There is, now that I think about it, there is a lot of smoking in this movie and a lot of mention of smoking. Does anyone not smoke? <laughs> Katie? No, that's right. No, oh, never mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, he smokes. Well, we know. Yeah, we know that Danielle smoked pot, and, she, uh, and, and Katie gives her gives her some yeah. uh, gives her a joint. Uh, do we see uh, Kersick, Joe Don Baker smoke? Oh man, he would have dropped on his lap, <laughs> <laughs> like the like Lebowski driving the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, do you guys have anything else on Cape Fear? I have two very, very quick things. Okay. Uh, number one, there's a very famous, one of the most famous Simpsons episodes uh, parodying this. Uh, we won't go into it, but if you haven't watched it or if you haven't watched it in a long time, go back and watch it because it is A-plus Simpsons material from the time when that show was the greatest thing on earth. Uh, and the second thing, guys, this soundtrack slaps. I like it. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, Bernard Herrmann, right? It's uh, Elmer Bernstein adapting Bernard Herrmann. Oh, uh, okay. The uh, the original is much more uh, string focused, and you still get that here. But I got big time echoes of the Psycho soundtrack. Yeah, it is. Again, very Hitchcockian. I don't know if I've seen the original. It's fine. It's okay. I mean, it's it's a very mediocre movie that is carried by two fantastic performances. Yeah, it's... Well, I don't know if Peck is fantastic. He's very good. Robert Mitchum is fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a movie that sometimes gets, I think, regarded more highly than it should just because oh, of its star, star power. But yeah, it's This, it's this version's way better, way more interesting, I think. But, but it's worth watching just to see Robert Mitchum in one of his better roles i think i'm just i'm thinking of the i keep, i think what's happening is i'm confusing night of the hunter with yeah Kate those Fear. are those are the two like top tier robert mitchum as a bad guy movies i would say right tough yeah those those are the big ones like if you're gonna sell someone on robert mitchum i i know i've seen night of the hunter which is why i think i'm mixed up and thinking i've seen kate fear but when i watched this i was like i don't i don't think i have seen the original kate fear you're fine not seeing it Okay. I mean, if it's on, you know, go ahead. (laughs) But I I don't think it's someone that something that you have to seek out. Okay. I would say that um, if you're interested, like I always think it's fascinating when, like, a master director does something different and goes outside of their comfort zone, which I think this is a a chief example of where Scorsese's like, "Can I just make like a straight genre movie? Can I make something that's you know out of the." kind of the 50s just a straight up kind of noir movie and uh, i think he found out that he can't (laughs) well uh certainly not like not like the studio system would you know i i think this is a it is fascinating and really really good and maybe great but it's you know it's definitely a a scorsese movie right he should have left it for de palma (laughs) it does have echoes of de palma it does it would be a perfect de palma movie yeah, that would be interesting too. Um, uh, then I think he he followed this up with another interesting zag, uh, the Age of Innocence. And I think listeners, if you haven't seen the Age of Innocence, it's absolutely it is, fantastic. It is and, great. Uh, it and, is. Uh, it's a period drama. And I know last year there was a lot of like backlash against idiotic backlash against Scorsese and how he makes the same movie and over and over again. I think this movie is one example that no, he doesn't. But the Age of Innocence is maybe the one of the prime examples that he doesn't, and really, really uh, rich and moving and beautiful. And I think the fact that he made these two back to back is hilarious and fascinating. Yeah, that I mean, we don't need to dive into, but the take that he makes the same movie over and over again is absurd because, like, you can look at like eighty five through like 
97 for Scorsese, and that starts with After Hours and ends of Kundun. Kundun's <laughs> really good like, as well. Last Temptation of Christ and Age of Innocence in Cape Fear in it, along with obviously Goodfellas and Casino. But like those are all totally different movies. And, yeah. I mean, he made Silence, what, four years ago, five years ago? Yeah, he that's made, true. That was the movie he, he made, made before Hugo, The Irishman. Which I mean, is a children's movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. I, I mean, it's it's idiotic, but I, we could record a whole podcast. I, I, I don't want to go off on a rant about it. Oh, and uh, the other thing he did in the 80s is directed the music video for Bad. <laughs> oh, yes. Hey, man, the check's cash. Yeah. Which he made is, a lot of money for that. Sometimes you just think back on that. It's like, wait, what? I, like, just imagining him directing Michael Jackson. There's just, they were just printing money for music videos back then. <laughs> it was like, it was such an incredible, wonderful scam. You you could just make so, I mean, you read that MTV book. I mean, it, it wasn't a scam. Like, it paid off in dividends. Like, it, you know, I mean, you made the music video. Well, to compared sell. to, like, how much work goes into making <laughs> the last temptation of Christ or something. He probably, I'm sure he made more money off the bad music video than he did off of that. Right. Oh yeah. For significantly less effort. That's what I mean by scam. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, um, anything else about Cape fear? This was good philosophizing. Yep. Um, outthunk all we outthunk everyone. <laughs> um, well, listeners, um, we will continue this season um, with Joe's pick later on. Um, we might be going a little bit outside the movie realm. Ooh. Um, and until then, you can uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at A Free Podcast. You can go to afreepodcast.com. You'll see links to that. We also have a Facebook group called Freeloaders. You can just search for that or also go to afreepodcast.com slash freeloaders. You can rate and review us. Um, you can also, if you want more content, you can go to patreon.com slash the midnight boys and for as little as $2 a month, get access to all sorts of stuff. I know we've just uh, recently had episodes that people paid for of space camp and, uh, a serious man. So, you know, if you've got that, uh, if you, your coronavirus check is burning a hole in your pocket. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we can do your uh, movie suggestion. If your landlord isn't asking for the other two thirds of your rent, then uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we will uh, we'll be back later with new content.